1: Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host today, Heather Mosher. I'm the guest host. Larry is out of town on business today, so I'm glad that you're here with me. My guest today is my husband, (laughs) Donnie. Uh, We've had a blast doing this a few different weeks, and so if you have not heard... Uh, our first two episodes. Go back in the iHeartRadio Relevant Recovery Radio app and find the other two episodes that Donnie and I have done, and, uh, and you'll kind of get caught up to speed on uh, what we like to talk about, what I think that Relevant Recovery is really about.
0: That's right. And they can hear me cover, like <laughs> carry you through.
1: <laughs> that too, right? All right. So Donnie, last time uh, we talked about what?
0: Well, so we really talked about what makes somebody an alcoholic or an addict. We really got into what do you look for? What what is it exactly, precisely that makes me an alcoholic? So let or an me addict?
1: guess: uh, is it the fact that someone might drink two fifths of vodka every weekend? Does that does that make me an alcoholic? No,
0: that makes well, them an amateur. Well,
1: what about if I've had four DWIs? Does that make me an alcoholic?
0: No, that makes you an idiot because you have Uber.
1: Uh, what if uh, I spend my last $5 every week on a bottle of Crown?
0: You need a new job, but you're still not an alcoholic.
1: <laughs> All right, so tell me, what makes somebody an alcoholic?
0: It's real simple. Uh, there's really two things that make somebody an alcoholic. It's one, we have this physical allergy in our body that most other people don't have. When I put a substance in, even though, I, let's say I intend, let's say I'm stopping off for a couple of drinks okay and that's really my intention i stop off and i put the substance in my body once it gets in my body sort of takes over my mind Mm -hmm. and this craving builds and i want the second drink more than the first Mm -hmm. when that the second one gets in i want the third more than the second and it keeps building and building and i have little or no control over the amount i'm going to put in right
1: and i think that it's important that we talk i know at face value, we're talking about alcohol and alcoholism and alcoholics, mm-hmm. um, but you're, you know that you're married to a drug addict, right? I'm a recovered heroin addict. That's right.
0: <laughs> I should have higher standards. but
1: <laughs> But I want to correlate this physical allergy to my experience, right? I had no idea why I was abusing prescription medication. In the early days, like when it was prescribing. why was I taking more than prescribed?
0: What do you mean abusing it? Were you talking bad to it? Were you <laughs>
1: I was whipping it? No, uh, no. Like I was taking more than prescribed. Mm. What was going on is um, I had some legitimate physical injuries, mm-hmm. and and I had some surgeries and stuff that that was real, wasn't pretend. You know, f- out of nowhere. But I was abusing prescription medication. I was taking it more than prescribed because my body was craving more. My body was telling me that was great. You actually need more. You're almost good. Keep going. And I can correlate to what you're saying with alcohol. That's what happened with me with opiates is it just felt like I was almost good and I just needed to keep going. More was necessary.
0: (laughs) And and there's at times, even in my mind or in our mind that we know, okay, I was only going to, I was going to stop All right, just one more. And it's literally like just one more, just one more, just one more. For a
1: thousand one mores. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. And so that physical aspect is is 50% of the problem.
1: Okay.
0: The other half is in my brain. It's in my mind. Because if I only had this physical allergy to drugs and alcohol, then I could just push them away and I'd be done. Yeah. Right. We wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't have this discussion. The problem is that I always go back to it you know, I can look over my drinking career. You can look over your drug career. And we have this stack of evidence that says, hey, this person really shouldn't be doing this. Like DWIs, ruined relationships, jobs in trouble, family situations upended. Why? Why with all this evidence would I pick it up again? And the problem is, is that On one hand, we don't know why, right? It's this thing in our brain. I definitely didn't know why. Right.
1: It just seemed like countless vain attempts to prove I can use these substances like a normal person.
0: Did you ever figure out how to shoot heroin like a lady? I
1: did not. Uh. Right? I tried a thousand ways. You tried really hard, too. To Tuesday. and, And I just couldn't do it. And I'm sure you tried to drink like a gentleman, right?
0: Yeah. Never achieved it.
1: And I think that... But we were far down the scale, though, and there are budding drug addicts and budding alcoholics listening to this show that aren't going to identify with how far off we were.
0: Well, you know, and at one time, I was a budding alcoholic. Right. You know, at one time, um, at one time, my heavy drinking was on the weekend, or it was a Friday night. Mm -hmm. So, for a long time, I didn't, quote fingers in the air, have to drink. Right. Uh, It wasn't a necessity. but you move farther and farther along and next thing you know um i'm literally in the beer aisle not wanting to buy beer but with beer. tears coming out of my eyes and literally buying it anyway yeah. because i just i didn't want to but my brain just kept saying listen i'm not going to let this go until you do it no matter what's going to happen i know what's going to happen right
1: doesn't matter because that's what i <laughs> People say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? And then, but what we in the fellowship understand is that's not our definition of insanity because we know the result that's right and and we're, we we don't have the power not to do it anyway
0: i just don't care anymore mm-hmm. you know I, and whether i care don't care
1: but you got to be like a double winner you have to have both of these symptoms to truly be a real true powerless alcoholic or drug addict well
0: that's right and and so what we find is the real problem centers in my mind right. because this physical allergy literally if i can keep it away from me i'm fine mm-hmm. i don't have a problem i just don't drink the problem is is that my brain keeps telling me over and over again, try it again. that it's okay. Try the
1: game again. Do You know what? You again. couldn't
0: control it last time because Crown Royal just has too much sugar in mm-hmm. it. So you know what? Maybe try vodka.
1: Right. Uh, what I always When I sit down with somebody that comes through the Matthews Hope Detox and I'm talking to them about uh, their experience with drugs or alcohol or whatever they're there for, I always try to zero in on whether or not this person has experience in life where life gave them an, a reason to quit. Life gave them a motivator, like an arrest or Mm -hmm. the spouse threatened or they were pregnant or whatever. Did life give you a reason to quit? And And could you?
0: Consequences do not matter. Did you quit?
1: Nope. Because no one wants to admit they're the real, true, chronic, hopeless, powerless alcoholic, right? But when we look at it on face value, then why didn't you quit? If you still have the ability to choose to drink or not, then why did you drink again?
0: Right. And I have heard a thousand different reasons and truth be told, if somebody's really being honest most of the time, and it says it in our literature, that we really don't have any idea why.
1: We don't know why we just do it anyway. That's the insanity of it. That's right. We'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather and Donnie Mosher. Don't go anywhere. welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher. My guest today is Donnie Mosher.
0: The better half.
1: The better half. <laughs> so we've been talking about what makes someone an alcoholic.
0: And, and once, you know, once somebody sat, I know this happened for me, once somebody sat me down, and really, once I was able to relate and go, yeah, it's true that when I started drinking, I really couldn't stop. Like once I started, and then there were so many times that I really, really wanted to quit. Here, let's clarify something, by the way. I did quit drinking.
1: A thousand times? A
0: hundred and fifty <laughs> times. Right. right. The problem was to be able to stay quit drinking. And you stay stopped. Right.
1: And that that's where my delusion was. If you had quizzed me or talked to me... Um, during the depths of my addiction, I would have told you, um, yeah, I, I can stop. I just have to get X, Y, Z in order, right? Mm-hmm. I need to get some shelter, some sober living. I need to get transportation because I got I to go to work. So you're going to have to buy me another car. I had all these things, these external things I was clamoring for saying I needed in order to be sober. I needed my yep. children back and I needed this. I needed that. And, and I was just completely delusional at what was really wrong with me.
0: That's okay. I got all that. Once I got sober, (laughs) it was the opposite of like, okay, I've been living like a clown. So now that I'm sober, let me go ahead and just quit smoking and eat right and drop weight and (laughs) blah, 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 blah. Right.
1: If Truth be told. So I love uh, working with the clients at Matthew's Hope in in, in our detox. And I love the people that we help in our personal lives every day, get and maintain sobriety because anyone can get sober. Mm-hmm. Right. Can this person stay sober for good and for all? And can this person be happy and comfortable in their own skin while they're sober? That's early, the goal.
0: Early days, there was no way I thought that was possible. Right. I mean, I can remember my first meeting. I, I was never, you know, my first 12 step meeting, I was never so uncomfortable. <laughs> and I mean, I had been sober 24 hours. Yeah. I was ready to jump out of my skin just because. Yeah, And then I walk in this room of these people who are hugging each other and saying hello, and they're happy, and they're drinking coffee. I wanted to choke somebody.
1: Right. And I think that... Man, that's the one thing I want to drill home. My family would when I was in my addiction, my family was asking, Heather, why are you doing this? Heather, why do you do this? Why do you do this to yourself? Why are you doing this? I couldn't not do it because it was the only thing that let me be comfortable in my own skin. Mm. It was a solution to being Heather. And alcohol was your solution to being Donnie.
0: Oh, yeah, it was.
1: You take away that solution, and we want to crawl out of our own skin. How dare you take away my solution?
0: Yeah, I don't want to be you, and I can't be me.
1: And so I went to treatment a lot. You went once, but it kind of doesn't even really count. Uh, let's, let's call it
0: pre-treatment.
1: <laughs> You were fifteen, and it was like for weed. and I don't Listen, know that it
0: yeah, when I was fifteen, I, I was—you know, this is the eighties, the treatment <laughs> boom. They're sending you to rehab for—you know—if you looked at alcohol wrong. And I, I did need therapy at the time, but I was definitely not an alcoholic.
1: Right. So I, I would say you really didn't go to treatment for alcoholism ever.
0: I went for a year-long vacation. That's
1: what you did. I went to treatment five times in my thirties as an adult that wanted to be sober.
0: So that's so you got sober going into treatment through treatment
1: uh technically yes yeah Um, i went to three detoxes Mm -hmm. uh, and i would get loaded within hours of leaving Mm -hmm. and then i went to a 30-day place and i I lasted just under three months and then i went to that 30-day place again a fifth time my fifth treatment uh and and what was different that time than the other times is nothing Nothing magical. There's no answer I can say of like, the, I was finally ready, or I was finally done, or I'd finally done all the heroin that Heather needed to ever do, <laughs> <laughs> and now I can move on. It, it wasn't that at all, it was like, I was out of ideas, and I was just so hopeless that I was ready to just die and get it over with.
0: Yeah, see that I, that I completely get, like, I would never sink so low as to do heroin. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but, listen, but as just your garden variety drunk, um, by the time my friend who I grew up, I grew up with this guy that was a drunk like me, and and we hooked back up in life. We had you know gone our separate ways, and then sort of found our way to each other again. And and I didn't trust him right off the bat because he wasn't drinking, right? Uh, but he was real different. And when this guy told me that he quit drinking, I I sort of rejected him immediately in my mind, like, well, you're probably working for the CIA now, and you want to catch (laughs) me saying something? Uh, But anyways, when this guy takes me to my first meeting and starts talking to me and starts telling me, hey, you can have fun and be sober, I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. Because I I prepared a drink and a joint for everything I did, including driving. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> like, if you, like, that's if scary
1: you, in Houston too
0: yeah if you ever want to like if you're not sure if there is a God <laughs> I never got a DWR or killed anybody there's definitely, there's definitely a, God. a God
1: and that was the thing going like you always talk about your experience with this first meeting and I don't even remember my first actual meeting I don't remember what was said or what was talked mm. about but the only thing I do remember is after it was over I remember like 150 people in this room i going to get emotional talking about it I just remember 150 people in this room standing up and holding hands and saying the Lord's prayer together. Yeah. And I could feel God there in that moment. And and I could just feel like in my core that God's telling me, you need to be here. You need to be around these people. Just stay here.
0: God, you get emotional. And I believe that I bristled with antagonism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It repelled you away. (laughs) Yeah. Listen,
0: God and I hadn't been friends in a very, very long time. Yeah. And I certainly didn't like his fan club. Right. Um, so I sort of had that opposite, you know, the, the meeting goes through, um, everybody circles up and they do the Lord's prayer. And I'm just staring at these people going, okay, I've, I've been invited to a cult meeting and I didn't <laughs> even know it. And I'm looking at my buddy, like, what did you do? But
1: it's the best cult ever. But that's the thing. It's like, here's the, here's an atheist and a born-again Christian yeah. all going into a fellowship and neither one of us could stay sober. And we had the same exact illness.
0: It sounds like the beginning of a joke, an atheist, (laughs) an atheist and a Christian walking into a room.
1: (laughs) (laughs) but but that's what I had to wrap my brain around. And man, I saw a bunch about God on the walls and and in the steps, and I thought I was prejudiced. I thought, what can you people teach me about God?
0: And I saw that on the walls, and I went, oh, I'm screwed. Right? Yeah, because there's no way I can do that. Like me and that dude got an agreement. You stay on your side, I stay on mine.
1: So that's the whole idea around understanding whether or not I'm a real alcoholic, whether or not you're a real alcoholic, because I
0: didn't have a choice. The
1: gravity of that understanding Mm -hmm. is so important, because if you don't believe that's true about you, you're not going to stay and you're not going to do what needs to be done. So
0: literally, I'm coming into the rooms as an atheist. I'm uncomfortable. I want to come out of my own skin. And when I am explained this this problem that i have this physical and mental obsession right this problem that i have and basically there's nothing i can do about it right. and and i had proof of that like i didn't argue that because i had tried to quit for 10 years but you're
1: really rare unfortunately and most people aren't and so just playing devil's advocate for a moment most people when they get this information explained to them for the first time ever They're going to be like, I I get down with the allergy. When I drink, I crave more. I get down with Mm -hmm. with the physiology. But you telling me I don't have a choice about whether or not I'm going to drink? Ludicrous. You're crazy.
0: Right. I just need to go to the gym and read some health (laughs) magazines. Join yoga and buy some
1: crystals. Whatever they think is going to fix their life, right? Cool, then. Go try that, please. And you come back to me if it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I, I am lucky because I tried that prior.
1: Right. And I hadn't.
0: Right. You know, all that time that I didn't believe in God and I was so <laughs> against the idea, God was working in my life. I didn't even know right. it because quite literally I had tried everything on my own. I ran out of options. I, my list was finished. I didn't have anything else to try to quit and stay quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you come in the room and I see that on the wall and I'm like, mm. but I'm sort of in a dilemma.
1: But you believed step one,
0: 100 percent because I had the experience
1: and, and I did, too, eventually after five treatments. Right. Right. After five, two minutes, I, I believed that I couldn't stay stopped on my own power. Yeah. I believed that I needed a power greater than myself.
0: Yeah, I, I believe that I had the illness because I had the experience. Right. I really did try. I tried hypnotism one time. Come on. You <laughs> right. know They couldn't even hypnotize me into being sober. <laughs> my, my
1: cousin got hypnotized once to stop smoking. Uh, but the, the guy actually did some sort of double hypnotizing trick where he couldn't remember his name unless he put his finger in his belly button. And so <laughs> he went home and for like weeks, he, if you'd ask him, his name was he couldn't remember unless he put his finger
0: i under. definitely <laughs> went to the wrong hypnotist so okay so before we like finish this segment i just want to say that like it's possible to walk in the rooms either not believing at all and being against yeah or completely believing and still having no solution
1: true True, an atheist and a Christian, both unable to stay sober on their own power. We'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. You're listening with Heather and Donnie Mosher here today. We're glad you're joining us. Howdy. We're talking about alcoholism and we're talking about what it means to identify as a real alcoholic. Um, And we stress this and we talk about this a lot because the public doesn't seem to know this information.
0: We see it on Facebook all the time. You have a choice, you could quit if you want. And the problem is, is that what I learned about step one is that I literally don't. I literally, I have an illness. My body is just wired different.
1: Completely different.
0: From like 90% of the population. And it's
1: progressive. And Mm -hmm. so someone may have had a choice.
0: At some point. At some at some some point, right? I did too. Yeah. And
1: so that's what they're hanging their hat on is maybe they stopped in time, right. right? And they were able to lay down the drink or the drug and they stopped in time. But uh, certain people like me and you, we develop into this chronic territory where we don't have the choice anymore. We're going to get loaded despite our desire to be sober.
0: Right. So then, then I'm told here, here's step this, this first step into this recovery process, which is you realize purpose. that you have this illness. Yeah. And, and, and we ask people now, like, hey, what do you think the percentage, if you have this, okay, mm-hmm if you have this allergy, this physical, and you have this mental obsession, what's the chance you're gonna drink again? How many times do people tell you less than 100? <laughs> right,
1: right, and that's what's funny. So Donnie and I will frequently go into treatment centers and we play tricks on the audience when we, when we teach oh, the literature. And get so at- <laughs> and, yeah. and so these people have been there maybe 30 days plus and, and they totally will say, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict and we believe you. And then Donnie will say, okay, raise your hand if you're choosing sobriety today.
0: Right. If you raise your hand, if you chose, chose not to, to have a drink today, and, and so many
1: people will raise their hand, and I'm like, then you don't get the illness.
0: Like you don't belong here. Because go that's home, the then, problem. buddy. Yeah. Go
1: home. You don't have what I have, and you don't need to do what I need to do. Then,
0: because that is the stark reality: is that of my own, I cannot do anything about this.
1: Because if you did have the power, if you still believe, you, then then choose to not drink.
0: Well, and so here's the other thing: you too. would just
1: successfully do that,
0: right? And so, okay. <laughs> I have the illness. Now what? Okay, what am I going to do to fix this, right? Because my mind immediately goes to, cool, how am I going to fix this? And the guy sitting across me is like, you can't. Right. Like, literally, you can't. I'm like, cool, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah. No, no, you can't. Okay, cool, yeah, I hear you, but I'm going to do something. But that's, in my mind, I'm like,
1: okay, I just need to pick the right sober house, or the right town to live in, or the right boyfriend to get sober with, or whatever, no. right? I just need to pick all these things, and it was none of that.
0: And so, literally, they're like, okay, cool. Um, I tell you what, your choice is to go on to the bitter end and end up in prison or dead mm-hmm. or in an asylum, right? Yeah. Or accept spiritual help, that word God on the wall or a, a power, spirit of the universe. And I went, cool, is there a door number three? <laughs>
1: it's like the price is right, right? You right. don't want those two doors. No, let's go
0: somewhere else. Let's do something else here. But the problem is, is that that's what I had but to But pause
1: do there because, man, the prejudice that I had coming in by being told, okay, the solution is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, cool, what can you people teach me about God? Ooh. And and I have worked with a lot of other alcoholics, and I think I see something that's very common. What I see that's very common is drug addicts and alcoholics active in their addiction, they can't stay sober, that claim to have a great relationship with God already.
0: It- let me ask you, that's what I was going to bring up. So here you are, this person of great faith. You obviously came in with like the sun shining behind your head and like <laughs> no. a white robe. When you came in with this great faith, why weren't you able to stop drinking? And so drinking? That's,
1: that's the bubble that I hope to burst with other people coming in like the bubble was bursted for me. I may have had faith, but I didn't have a reliance. And I, and I may have had a belief, but I didn't have trust or a relationship mm, with what's, God.
0: What's the difference between faith and reliance?
1: It requires action. Okay. Right? And so in, in the program that we're in, we talk a lot about agnosticism and what that means.
0: What does – let's pause. <laughs> what is agnosticism? We have our own language, it. and yeah. you hear it
1: a lot. And so I didn't know that I was living in agnostic lifestyles. And, and agnosticism – it's someone living a self-driven life, not a spiritually directed life. So, for instance, when I get up and I go through my day, I'm making decisions based on what I feel are right for me, what I want, what will make me happy, what I deserve. And I don't have a spiritual compass.
0: So that's self-reliance.
1: That's self-reliance. Yeah. That's, a, that's a self-directed life, which is agnostic.
0: It ah, so doesn't matter I can, if I believe in God or not. So wait, not. I can be a, um, a Christian, Muslim, Jew, whatever. You can be as whatever, religious and as, as devoted. But go still to, be agnostic. And
1: still live agnostic. And that was what okay. I found out was true for me. I already believed in God, but I was living agnostic.
0: And as an atheist, I was definitely you agnostic. You were definitely
1: in, in, yeah. in agnosticism territory, right? And so I think that we got to look at... In context, what does self will mean and why is that dangerous for someone like me or someone like you?
0: Well you know, it's funny that when my the guy that that helped me get sober sat down and talked about my drinking. Yeah. I was able to see the evidence and go, Wow, I really This is bad. This is bad. <laughs> but then when you talk about self reliance and whether or not I should be driving this bus, right? Whether or not I should be in control. Whoa, that took some time to see.
1: I just couldn't fathom what self-reliant, not not being self-reliant looks like.
0: Right. It's like explaining f- water to a fish. Mm-hmm. Like The water's just around you. just been in it your whole life and when somebody tries to point out, you're like, huh? So I love
1: analogies, yeah. right? And you and I were talking about an analogy. I want to give our listeners a beautiful agnostic analogy. <laughs> um,
0: it's very specific.
1: Though. It's very specific, this analogy. Yeah. Uh, when we bought our house recently, yeah. uh, we had to buy a house with a pool because you wanted a pool.
0: I wasn't going to buy a house without a, poo, All right, so a pool. Alright, we
1: have a pool. And I watched Johnny for months struggle with chemicals and things going in and out oh, of this Lord. pool. Yeah. And it looked beautiful. It looked blue. It wasn't cloudy. It looked clear. I, I didn't understand why he took a sample of our water up to the pool lady and, and brought it back. Panicked.
0: she panicked. Said, I said, she said, oh, you have to do some stuff. And I went, well, I mean, it looks really clean. Would you swim in it? And she said, I wouldn't even come near your house. She said, you couldn't
1: pay me to swim in your pool. Yeah. And so the next thing I know, we're having our pool drained. Yeah. It's an in-ground pool, and we have to start over with fresh water and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The pool was blue, and I couldn't understand. So that's the same thing with living an agnostic versus a spirit-directed life or a spiritually-directed life. What I find is... On surface level, it looks fine. It looks like a blue pool, but it's actually very dangerous, treacherous water. And someone who is not living a spiritually directed life can't see that it's dangerous water.
0: I will get in my car, fire it up, and do 120 miles an hour straight into a wall. And get, and, again, and get up the next day and do it again, and get up the next day and do it again, and get up the next day and do it again, and never see that I absolutely shouldn't be driving that car.
1: Right. And, and so that's what it is with this analogy with the pool water being blue. Someone who says they believe in God or says they're, they're a good Christian or saved. And they, they may be. They Maybe. may be, but the proof is in the pudding. Is right. the blue water you know, safe or not safe? Well,
0: and so, but you point out another thing, too, with that analogy, is that the pool lady could see it.
1: The pool lady could see it. Why?
0: Because she's outside.
1: She knows pools.
0: That's right. And and so when I'm sitting down with somebody who's already sober, who has already started this program, working the steps and doing this thing, they can see what I can't. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I just don't want to believe them.
1: But that's the beauty of, of one alcoholic helping another. Yeah. is As I had someone sit down with me and point out all the ways my water was dangerous.
0: How often did you agree with them?
1: <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> Rarely did I immediately agree with them. Yeah. I usually thought they were wrong, and, and it would take some some hours for me to circle back and realize that they were right. Well,
0: look, you know, we have this problem that we can't fix, and they're telling me it's got to be a power outside myself, which already sounds like wizardry and, and, you know, magic, right? Because I've gone through my whole life and pretty much gotten what I needed when I needed it. Look, even if it's inside emotional things, I will find people for the juice, I will find people where I can pull emotional energy from them. I will find people to help me get things. I will, if it work, if I need to make more money, right? Whoever I'm up against for promotion, I'll go talk bad about them to the boss. Right. I'll buddy up to the boss. I will politic, I'll do everything I can. So in my life, I've gotten these things that I needed sort of against the odds.
1: But that's the, the antithesis of this. When you look at what you did, you were living in, a, in self, mm-hmm. and you're looking at, I need this promotion. Right. I need this job. I need I need this promotion. And you're going to step on the toes of your fellows to make sure you yep. get that promotion. Um, but we didn't realize you were paying a spiritual price to get that.
0: And, and you know what else, too, that I realized today? Now, this is eight years being sober and doing this deal that we do, is that today— when i don't practice self-reliance when i rely on god when i do get those things i have gratitude Mm -hmm. i never knew what that felt like because all those years of getting everything i wanted you were entitled to it before right
1: and that's the biggest thing living a spiritual life you can't actually live a spiritual life and have gratitude be abs abstinent right it's going to be included by very nature because i realize that i don't i'm not entitled to things
0: okay so we're told that we have to have this power. It's the only way you're going to stay stopped, right? Yeah. What's the steps to get there? And I don't mean like these steps, but I mean like I'm a plan guy. Right. And you definitely are. You're a plan gal. There's no way around that. I like
1: lists and you bullet are an points. You're
0: an OCD freak. <laughs> So how are we going to get there? And I remember that this was part of what baffled me. And thankfully, the fellowship is kind and loving and tolerant. And they're like, hey, cool, we'll figure that out. Go to dinner with us after the meeting. Hey, cool, we'll figure that out. Let's go help Joe move this weekend. They just kind of keep you busy while you're doing the stuff.
1: Right, right. Uh, We'll be right back after this quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher. My, go- my guest today is my husband, Donnie. Hi. Hi. Okay, so... Where were we?
0: Well, we're kind of all over because we're talking, and that's literally how you feel when you come into this deal, right? When, when you're newly says, sober,
1: everything is Greek, Braille Greek.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can talk quantum physics to me all day long, and I just agree with you. You can tell me that this molecular particle called an atom makes up every substance known to man, depending on how fast they move and what they're paired with, and I go, cool. Yeah. Never seen through an electron microscope, but cool, I'm with you. But suddenly, you start talking about a spirit of the universe, and God solving your problems and i'm like, You're like mm,
1: hold on
0: way man way Matt way I, I, I need a
1: powerpoint presentation here I
0: got, questions. <laughs> I got questions like literally you could tell me time travel is possible and i won't question you but you'd start talking about spirit of the universe and i'm gonna need some uh, need some answers and i
1: think the whole point of what's beautiful about the program the life that we live is that this is not about defining what god is or isn't mm-hmm. and it's not about any specific religion at all no no. And if, it, if it was, there'd be a whole lot of us not sober.
0: Yeah, that's what threw my whole uh, cult assumption out.
1: Right. right. And I think that what was explained to me is, Heather, you can't stay sober on your own power. Do you believe that's true? And yes, I absolutely believe that. Cool, you need to get connected to power. I'm like, wait a minute, I already know the power. And the girl was like, no, you don't. Otherwise, you would be sober and you wouldn't right. be sitting across from me. You're missing something. Let's take a look here. She had to really like kindergarten break it down and show me that all these things, these decisions I make as I go through my day, I'm edging God out of the whole equation. I'm deciding what I want to eat or drink. I'm deciding when I want to get up or go to bed. I'm deciding how I drive on the road. Look at the three most common ones are like money and and relationships and and food. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, what are you doing with your money? Is God cool with what you just did with your money last week? What about your relationships, how you treat your loved ones, the people closest to you? Is God cool with that? You know, what about food, shopping, sex habits? Is God cool with that?
0: Yeah, see, mine wasn't even that. Mine in the beginning, because I was so lost and so, well, I was obstinate. Don't use the word God around me, pal. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, that he basically asked me, and it's and it's in our literature, and it's basically, look, do you want what I have? Because he was, he was happy. You could see it, and you could see this piece about him. And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. He said, are you willing to believe that there really is this power out there that I can't define? I just know it's there. Are you willing to believe that that has changed my life and made it so that I don't have to drink anymore? I said, yeah, I'm willing to because I really want to do this. And he goes, cool, that's it. He said, now we're going to do some things. Mm-hmm. And through these actions and through doing this program, it's just going to happen. Now, that was even hard to fathom. Like, wait a minute. What do you mean it's just going to happen? And it's and it really gets down to, you know, in the fellowship we're in, you have what's called a sponsor. And a sponsor is no guru. They're no wizard. They're just somebody who's been through it. They yeah. just work the steps. And they're going to sit down and work with you. And, and a good sponsor is going to tell you, look, I'll worry about the big stuff. You worry about the little stuff. And the little stuff is, you know, go get to a meeting, listen, we're going to get together and we're going to work on these steps. Like they break everything down real small. Um, Stop lying to people. (laughs) Stop stealing. (laughs) The basics. If, If you have a job and you go to work, like why don't you work the whole day?
1: I remember the last time I was in treatment and I knew that the solution to my alcoholism was a connection to a higher power. And I'm going around everywhere asking all the people that work in the treatment center, like, how do you get connected to God? How do you, how did you get connected to God? You're sober. How did you get connected mm-hmm. to this spirit? You know, and everybody's talking about these steps. Everybody's like, what are these steps? And I'm like, yeah, but what else? Mm-hmm. What else? Because I can't, I can't for the life of me fathom why doing this and this and this in this order equals me not living in self-will anymore and connected to this power.
0: And here's the beauty of it. And here's what I think really happens. And I think this happens in us before we know it we come in 100% unsure and unbelieving and and we're we're nervous and we don't know what's going to happen next but our our sponsor does mm-hmm. and they're sure why <clears throat> because they've had these experiences yeah. that have proven right because that's what we're all about right i need to see facts i need to see proof and and so it's almost like they have this sureness that hey i'm going to have you do these things and that power is gonna start showing itself to you. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember the first time that power showed itself to you? I do. What was it?
1: And it was around integrity with an ice cube.
0: <laughs> okay, so it's it's an ice your power. Yeah,
1: so no, an ice maker's not my higher power, but I was I was newly sober. I was alone at my sober living house mm-hmm. uh, in a town for about four hours away from here, and no one was home, and I went to go make myself a drink, a regular drink, not an alcoholic drink, thank you, and and we had the ice cube trays in the refrigerator, and I was cracking the ice cube tray and getting ice out and putting it into, into my glass, and a cube fell onto the floor, and as a complete reflex, I went to kick this ice cube under the refrigerator, but God stopped me. A power, a thought, a force, I can't explain it, but something stopped me and just said, hey, pick it up and put it in the sink like an adult.
0: Who does that?
1: And, well, I never had before, <laughs> but I, and I was 34 years old at the time, <laughs> um, but I did. I knew that that was God speaking to me, and I knew that no one else in the whole universe would know if I kicked it under the refrigerator or put it in the sink, but me and God would know. Yep. And all of a sudden, that wasn't cool with me to kick it under the fridge, and I had to pick it. I had to have integrity. And and so for me, like that began, this ice cube scenario began my, my conversation, my actual relationship with God. It went from just a faith or a belief that He exists to me actually communicating and, and having a conversation about something as, as mundane as an ice cube.
0: Yeah, I I think that my relationship with God, with this power, with the spirit of the universe, if you will, really for me began way more elementary than what I thought it would. You know, um, for me, this relationship really just started with doing things for others. So where yours was just picking up an ice cube where you normally just would have kicked it, right? Mine, I went to this. Okay, so. I started sponsoring guys at, I don't know, 90 days sober. Like, first of all, it was a miracle I was still sober at 90 days, right? Mm -hmm. And I started sponsoring guys. And one of my first sponsees wanted to pick up a chip on a Tuesday night uh, at a meeting I didn't want to go to. (laughs) Right? right? Because I had my normal meeting. Like, don't take me out of my schedule. Mm -hmm. So I literally begrudgingly went to this meeting that was... 25 miles away, I didn't want to drive, you know what I mean, like I'm just being selfish but I went, and he really wanted me to be there for him, it was his 30 day chip and I'm like yeah, I'll be there so I go, it's winter it's 30 degrees outside and after the meeting we're all talking and introducing ourselves, and there's a guy going to leave who I just met, and he goes to get on a bicycle, Mm -hmm. and I'm like bro, where are you going, how far do you live and he goes, about 30 35 minutes, um I said, where? Well, I'll cut this story short. He lived on the block behind my house, Mm. almost literally right behind my house. And all of the sudden, what I realized is that had I gone to the meeting, and by the way, I drive a truck, right? So I could give a bicycle guy,
1: right? Um,
0: Had I gone to my normal meeting, I wouldn't have been there to give this guy a ride in 30 degree weather. And I just had this all of a sudden realization that there was a power working Mm -hmm. and that I was never going to know where it came from. Is it going to come through people? Is it going to come through ideas? I never knew. But there was something happening because I was starting to be put in a position where I could help other people. And I
1: think that that's the key is to realize that I wasn't very helpful to other people for most of my life. Oh yeah. I was I was looking out for me. I was in a bubble of one. Absolutely. And all of a sudden, I need to learn how to be inconvenienced and do for others and I need to take on the idea that other people are more important than me. And but God ends up giving you these amazing experiences, like my Ice Cube experience and your Bicycle Guy experience. One of the, I think it was like the second girl I ever sponsored, and we're sitting down for me to hear her fist step and she and she starts reading her inventory to me on her mother, and her mother happened to also be Pentecostal and schizophrenic.
0: Ooh, double whammy!
1: Double whammy! And and I, I stopped her because that's my truth too. Yeah. And I stopped her. I said, did you know my mom is Pentecostal and schizophrenic when you asked me to sponsor you? And she said, no. And we both cried.
0: Which one of those things do you take meds for?
1: (laughs) Um, All of them. (laughs) Uh, I now take meds for all of them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, And so my mom's a lovely lady. But that's what I mean is God put me in this lady's life. I was uniquely qualified to help her.
0: We start seeing that it's not self-propulsion putting us in the right place. There's another propulsion Mm -hmm. at work.
1: It's God. It's always good. Thank amazing. you for being on with me again, Donnie.
0: I can't wait till next time.
1: <laughs> you, you've been listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. Thank you for listening. Uh, we are sponsored by Matthew's Health. Uh, we are a detox inside St. Joseph's downtown. You can visit www.matthewshelp.org. Thank you.